You're listening to audio from New City Church in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. We are a gospel-centered church with a heart for the next generation, passionate about making disciples who will renew our city in the real Jesus. For more information about New City, please visit our website at www.mynewcity.church. All right, what's up, New City? Good morning. Everybody just needs to shake it out a little bit. Um, my name's Raiden. I am five foot four and three quarters because I have a very big personality, and were you to put that into a normal-sized body, it would be oppressive and very difficult to deal with. So I, uh, the Lord just put it into a small package. You're going to want to turn the gain down on my mic as compared to how Nick preaches I am grateful to be here. I want to give honor to Nick and Aaron. I'm, I'm preaching out of Colossians 2 today. I'm going to be going through verse 6 down through verse 23. And uh, I thought it would be fitting to just share with you verses 4 and 5 as sort of a preamble. It says, um, I'm saying all this so that no one will deceive you. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Version. I know you guys use the ESV. I apologize. I didn't bring my ESV. I just brought my CSB, but it'll still be pretty much the same. But it says, saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable for Nick and Aaron. I may be absent in body, but I'm with you in spirit. Rejoicing to see how well ordered you are in the strength of your faith in Jesus. I'm very proud of the two of these people. I'm, I'm very proud of their children and their family. I'm very proud of you and the church that you all have built together. I bring you greetings in the Lord from your faith family in Edwardsville, Illinois, Red Hill Church. It's an honor to stand here on a platform and share a space with people as wonderful as Nick and Aaron who love Jesus as deeply as they do and who are unashamed to share that love generously with everyone who comes into their sphere of life. Everyone who gets to have them as a friend is enriched. Everybody who gets to be around them is brought closer to the image of Jesus just by being in their presence. It's such a beautiful experience to get to be your friends. I will eternally be grateful. Nick met me in a moment of deep need. And you know what? There's nothing really you can say beyond this statement. He was just Nick. And it was just exactly what I needed. And I know it's exactly what you need in this moment. And so I'm honored to stand here. All that being said, this is a very long passage for me to preach through in a two-service environment where I can't just keep going interminably. (laughs) Also, my wife is not here to sort of give me some signals like, slow down. And I have had a lot of caffeine this morning. I'm a little jittery. I'm really eager to share the word with you. I'm going to ask you to keep your pencils sharp, your pens ready with ink. I don't preach with points. I make it a point to preach pointless sermons. That is entirely my goal. And I will allow the uh, the Holy Spirit, hopefully we will encourage and endorse him to do whatever he would like to do inside of us this morning. Amen? Can we be in agreement that Jesus is free to do among his people whatever he desires to do? And that includes me, and that includes you. So we're going to be Colossians 2, verses 6, all the way down through 23. I would love to read all of this, to go through this word by word, and to like carefully exegete 100% of everything that is here. But I'm not going to, because it would take too long. 
And somewhere along the way, either I would get lost or you would get lost. So what we're going to do is we're going to work down through the passage. My hope is that when I finish preaching, you will say anyone who just carefully read the passage would have seen everything that he said. In other words, I'm not trying to be unique or clever. I want to be plain spoken, compassionate, and clear because I think that good preaching simply teaches you how to read the Bible for yourself. Just how to open it up and think about it a little bit. That's what we're going to do this morning. And so I'm going to pray briefly to ask the Holy Spirit to bless me, to truncate the words that I would like to say, and to speak powerfully to all of us, we, his people, this morning. Let's, let's pray together. God, we love you. Grateful to be in this place with these people. This is your place. These are your people. We have the everlasting promise of Jesus that you have not left us as orphans. We are not abandoned and we are not alone, that you are with us. And what we need now and what we request now is not your presence, but the overwhelming awareness of your presence and submissive spirits that will yield to you in all things. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so we're uh, gonna read verses six and seven first. It says, so then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. You received Christ Jesus. You have received Christ Jesus. This is important. Paul's writing to Christians. I'm sure that's already been covered, and so I'm not gonna cover it again, but I'm going to say something important. You received Christ Jesus. You received him. You did not purchase him. You did not craft a strategy to attain him. You did not cleverly figure out how to get him for yourself, and you certainly did not earn him. You received him. Those who receive things simply open their hands, and someone else takes all the initiative, spends all of the money, creates the package that it will be presented in, determines the terms with which it will be given, the moment at which it will be given, and the purpose for which it shall be given. That is the giver's responsibility. You received Jesus. This is very important for all of life, but also for this sermon. You received Jesus. And if you need to know how to think about it, then just think about it like this. Try it like this sometime. Emphasize one word at a time. You received Jesus. You. Not some version of you. Not the Instagrammed version of you. Not the you that you're supposed to be after all these years of being a Christian. Not the you that you wish you were. And certainly not the you that everyone else thinks that you are. You. The mess that you are. The sinner that you are. The wicked person that you are. The insecure, anxious, struggling, what is going on with my life person that you are. If you are in Christ you received Jesus. You received Jesus. Didn't earn him, didn't purchase him, didn't strategize how to get him, didn't cleverly manipulate him. You just opened your hands and opened your heart and there the gift was given. You received Jesus. Oh my goodness, you received Jesus. Right? I mean, I got a bike once. That was cool. And then somebody was like, how about if I give you the supreme, endless, eternal creator and sustainer of the universe? 
How about if I give you him? That's pretty good. You received Jesus. That's really stinking good news. Listen, listen. Sometimes I come to churches and they don't know what to do with me. And I just want to apologize, all right? I'm going to, here, I'm going to give you guys a gift this morning. Friends, that was it. That was the gift. That's me trying to be Nick to you. <laughs> friends, friends, can we loosen up just a little bit? Can we sort of get a little bit of elbow room here? I mean, there's a lot of white bread in the room, and we could use a little bit of soul in the room. And the less that you talk, the more that I preach, okay? I got the 20-minute version, the 40-minute version, and the I got nothing else to do but go home today version. I don't care if you're roast burns. I'm eating out. Doesn't bother me at all, okay? So just loosen up, relax, and listen carefully as you enjoy. You received Jesus, and, and Paul says, in the same way, Live in him. Follow him. You received Jesus. Continue to live in him. You received Jesus. In other places it says, you got Jesus. Why are you now trying to add something else to that? Paul said to the church in Rome, God gave you Jesus. Why are you thinking that he wouldn't give you everything else that you need? He already gave you Jesus. Why is there this assumption inside of us that there's something else out there that's special and unique that we're supposed to grab a hold of and lean into with all that we have and believe that that's going to be the thing that gives us the shiny gold star and moves us from JV Christianity onto the varsity team. All of a sudden, we got this unique, special little thing that makes us unique and special, and we figured it out so now we can market it and make a whole bunch of money because that's what Jesus wants for his people, right? You received Jesus. Continue to live in Jesus. We could end it all right there, but like Paul, I got more to say, right? Sometimes we have been taught and we have believed that the goal of following Jesus is to finally get to the place in our lives where we no longer need Jesus. Think about it for a second. Sometimes our discipleship journey is so academically and theoretically focused that we believe if I can, if I can just figure it out, if I can just grab a hold of the right theology, if I can just spend enough time in my devotional life, if I can just share the gospel faithfully enough, if I can just believe perfectly enough, then finally I will be sin-free and I will no longer need Jesus. I am so deeply in love with my wife. Her name's Sarah She's more beautiful than anyone in the room. Nathan's a close second, my son. <laughs> the goal of a great marriage is not to need my wife less. That's not how it's supposed to work. The goal of becoming like Jesus and being connected to Jesus and receiving Jesus and continuing in Jesus is not so that you can say, guys, now you can just follow me. You no longer need Jesus. Someday you can learn enough and grow enough and have enough faith that you too can become like me and no longer need Jesus. Jesus and we all go that's crazy I would never think that I would never feel that I would never believe that 
Go ahead and write that down in pencil, okay? Because we have more to say. He says in verse 7, you, uh, you, uh, Excuse me, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. I really like that there is a, uh, a beauty to the way that Paul writes. He's so, so smart. He's brilliant. And, and I think Paul went to great lengths. Like we feel sometimes as though his language is complicated and dense, and it is, but that's because we're dum-dums. Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel, the preeminent educator in the universe. It'd be, like if, it'd be like if the smartest person in the world, if the dean of some school at Harvard said, I just, you're so special, I want to teach you everything I know. Paul likely had the entire Old Testament memorized. He said that he was a Jew among Jews and a Pharisee among Pharisees. He had the, the best education ever, but he said, what I really want to be known for and what I really want to do is to not be clever, but to be clear and simple and really kind of stupid and just say over and over again, it's just about Jesus. That's really all that there is and there really isn't anything else and there really isn't any point to anything else and there isn't any benefit to anything else and there's no sense trying to add anything else to it. And here, very carefully, he says, you've been rooted in him and you've been built up in him. You've been rooted in him. That means you've been organically connected to him as the source of your life. That's what roots do. Something gets rooted in. That means that that thing that you can see has a connected and organically connected source of life. And you know what? Some of you are academics and you like diving into the particulars of a text and the particulars of a word or the particulars of history and culture. You love all that stuff. Awesome. I don't. It's not my thing. It's, sometimes it's interesting. I like relationships and people. That's what I like. Some of you are like, listen, when I get into nature, something about that helps me commune with the Father, causes me to love Him more. Some of you want to be with people. Some of you like to go and be active. Some of you hate the greeting time because you're introverts, and you're like, introverts, unite alone privately in your own room with the door closed and the lights off, right? You know, like that's okay, some of you have FOMO, like me, the fear of missing out. Some of you have JOMO, the joy of missing out. We are different, just like roots are different. There's not one way of following Jesus that you can follow this simple order of things, do it exactly like this, and become a super Christian. You've been rooted into him. He's the source of your life. He knows you, he made you, and he doesn't want you to be someone other than you. You are rooted into him, organically connected to him as the source of your life. But not just that. He doesn't say you've been rooted in him and now you get to bloom and blossom however and run wild. He says you've been rooted in him and built up in him. And built up, it doesn't describe something organic and sort of just willy-nilly. It describes something that's intentionally developed for greater capacity. You've been rooted in him, organically connected to a source of life, and built up in him, meaning you don't ever accidentally build something great. You will not accidentally be conformed into the image of Jesus. It requires you not to think in the abstract about how a Christian ought to live or how a person ought to live or what a person ought to do. 
It requires you to think specifically and personally. What does your life look like? Let me tell you something. I was at the Volkening's house, and it like, it just was like medicine to my soul because they got three beautiful little babies who are living tornadoes. <laughs> and it is so much fun. It's so much fun. And it made me remember the days of having living tornadoes in my home. And, and uh, it's sometimes so exhausting, but it's so precious. And if God were to say to Nick and Aaron, what I expect of you is ours of silent meditation and devotion and prayer to be able to have prolonged, focused reading of the scriptures in this season of your life, then we would no longer be able to say that God is just because that is not reality. If you are going to be built up in Christ, that means you have to think about what real life looks like on a Tuesday and not say, what do I wish being a follower of Jesus looked like? But what does it look like in my skin? That's what being a disciple is. A faithful disciple is someone. It's, it's, it, if I'm gonna be a faithful disciple, it's this. What would Jesus look like if he had my life? What would he do if he had my life built up in him and not only rooted in him, organically connected, built up in him, intentionally developed for greater capacity, but also established by faith in him. In other words, to be established means predictably secure. Isn't that beautiful? I like that. Predictably secure. How is it that we become predictably secure in our faith? How do we become predictably secure in our following of Jesus? And the answer is by faith in Jesus. There's not another path forward. The goal is not getting to the place where we no longer need Jesus. The goal lines up with the original teaching you received, he says, which is that it's actually all about Jesus and him living in me and him living through me. I like the way Paul said it, and I'm just gonna put it in what I call the RSV, which is the Raiden Standard Version in Galatians 2.20. Write it down, look it up later. Paul said this in the RSV. When you're looking at me, what you're seeing is not actually Raiden Hollis, but Jesus Christ cleverly disguised as Raiden Hollis. And the only way that I'm able to make this true is living by faith in Jesus who loved me so much that he would die for me. That's the only way forward. And then he says, one of my just like personal convictions, he says, and overflowing with gratitude. And Paul's like, he's like, there's all this big important stuff. And by the way, be thankful for everything. Overflow with gratitude. Overflowing with gratitude. Let me tell you something, sourpuss. Nobody wants to be like you. Nobody grows up going, I really want to be like Eeyore, man. Some of y'all are like, who's Eeyore? Read a book. A kid's book. They're the best ones. 
We read the Gruffalo the other night. It was amazing. Actually, we wrapped the Gruffalo, and only privileged few have ever experienced that. <sighs> Overflowing with gratitude. Gratitude is a superpower. Amen. It's us. It, being grateful makes you impervious. I had a mentor once tell me, he's like, I want to challenge you to 24 hours of gratitude. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, 24 hours of gratitude. Take 24 hours and write down everything that you feel grateful for. And I was like, bet, I'm on it. Let's go, okay? So I start going. Anything happens. I'm grateful for this. I saw this. A squirrel looked at me. It was amazing. We made eye contact, and he looked into my soul, and he told me, you're special. <laughs> I'm so grateful for that squirrel, right? It was just amazing. You know, that made me think of another story, and I'm grateful for that. I was late to a meeting that day. I'm running late to a meeting, and I'm like, Lord, I really need a green light. Guess what happened? The Lord gave me a green light, and I was like, I'm so thankful for that green light. And I had to pull over so that I could write down, I'm grateful for the light. And then I was like, I'm going to be late for this meeting. I am grateful that I chose to sit down and write down this thing that I'm grateful for. There's this guy, Jocko Willink, who has a podcast. He has this short little clip on YouTube that I almost showed you, but he says H-E-double hockey sticks in it, and I don't know the culture of New City well enough to know if that's okay or not. But in it, he talks about this one single word. He says, good. He's like, didn't get the promotion? Good. It gives you more time to get ready. Didn't make the A? Good. It'll teach you to study harder and figure out the things that you don't know. Don't have time to do all the things you want? Good. Get better at the things that you can do? Good. 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 And it's really a worldly perspective where he's saying you can use defeat to motivate yourself. Jesus is saying something even better to you this morning. Even better to you, what he's saying is, there is absolutely nothing that will ever happen to you without my permission. There is nothing that can touch you that is not part of the plan. And some of you go, but my life is filled with abuse and with pain. And, and I have learned an important lesson. There are only two things that you can do with pain. When people give you pain, there are two things you can do with it. Number one, you can pretend as though it didn't hurt. You can leave those who inflicted pain upon you, and you can go in search of those who will never, ever make you feel that way again, which is the path of pride that leads to isolation, loneliness, and a solo experience of your pain. Or you can take the pain that someone gives to you you can integrate it into who you are as a person who knows pain. And you can use that to compassionately care for those who experience the same pain and to build systems of justice that will protect the vulnerable from experiencing that kind of pain again. But that's the only option that you have Pretend like it didn't happen and run away from anyone who might make you feel it again or integrate it into your life. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because good people are just like bad people. They're people, and this is a broken world. Overflowing with gratitude. You know, if you try to hurt a grateful person, she will just thank you for it. Because she's grateful. 
overflow with gratitude. I used to tell my kids when they were little, you have more than enough to be mad about. You should write this down, because it's pretty good, actually. <laughs> you have more than enough to be mad about. You have more than enough in your life to be sad about. And you have more than enough to be glad about. And God has given you a gift. He will allow you to choose how you spend your emotional and mental energy. More than enough to be mad about, more than enough to be sad about, more than enough to be glad about, and nobody in the world can make you spend your energy anywhere that you don't want to. Verses eight through 10, he says basically, be careful. You gotta play some defense, be careful so that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. Man, that's good news. The entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Jesus. Want to know what God is like? Get to know Jesus better. Want to know what God wants from people? Get to know Jesus better. Want to know how people are supposed to live? Nobody has ever been more human than Jesus is. Nobody has ever been a better human than Jesus is. What is it that God wants to do in and through a person? Get to know Jesus. The answer always points back to Jesus. Sunday school was right all along. Jesus over everything. Jesus has the answer to everything everything the local church is the hope of the world because the local church is the harbinger of the gospel the ones who can promote the message that actually will bring the healing to the nations never had a savior on capitol hill i don't care if you're a democrat or republican it doesn't matter to me at all you know why because they're not going to fix the problems we are or we're not i mean i don't know for sure you know we'll see how it plays out i guess in verse 10, it says, you have been filled by him. You received him, you've been rooted in him, you've been built up by him, you're established by faith in him, and, and you have been filled by him. You are not empty, you are not abandoned, you are not orphans. He is the ultimate, undefeatable, supreme authority and ruler of all things and all people in all ages and all places from before the beginning of time until beyond the end of all measurable time or existence. Him. That's who filled you. That guy has filled you. You're not empty. You're not nothing. You've been filled with him. And then it says in verse 11, you've been circumcised with him. Was everybody feeling comfortable there? Because now we've said the word circumcised. I see there are only a few children in the room. Good luck, mom and dad. Sometimes I think weird things. And I'm just going to take a tangent because... I don't know how long the service is supposed to go. But I know it started nine minutes late, and I am not going to have that counted against my time. <laughs> but I think about God making a covenant with mankind, and I imagine God, the Father, the Spirit, and the Son having a conversation about, like, we need them to know it's serious. And one of them says, let's tell them to cut part of it off. As a man, I can tell you, for men, that's pretty much as serious as it gets. You know what I'm saying? The Bible's weird, guys. It's okay to laugh about it and to go like, this really happened. This is, this is the story. This is how God communicates the seriousness of the situation. 
To circumcise is to cut part of it off, never to have it reattached. Permanently and decisively divided. You have been circumcised in him. The idea that Jesus loves you just as you are is true. The idea that Jesus accepts you just as you are is true. But the idea that Jesus leaves you just as you are is false. Because when you come to him, you are circumcised in him. And what exactly are you circumcised from? You're circumcised from that body of flesh. What is Jesus trying to do in Raiden Hollis? He is trying to conform me into the image of his son. And what that requires is victory over the flesh. Absolute and total victory over sin in me. That is the process of spiritual growth. It's not the memorization of facts, theology, or scripture. It's the conquering of my sin. Jesus decisively, he wants to decisively cut away this body of flesh, which is what theologians call sanctification. Being made holy, rooted. You are declared holy through Jesus. Built up, you are made holy through Jesus. Establish, established, you remain holy through Jesus. Just listen to what Paul says about you and Jesus in this section. In verse 12, he says, you were buried with him and you were raised with him. In verse 13, it says, when you were dead, when you were dead, he made you alive. Have you ever seen a dead person? They can't do anything. They cannot do anything. So help me God, Nathan, if you put me in a suit when I'm dead and you put me in the ground in a suit, I will haunt your nightmares forever. <laughs> but guess what? I actually have no choice in the matter because I'm dead. You were dead and he made you alive. When you were dead, he made you alive. In verse 13, he forgave all your trespasses. In verse 14, he erased the certificate of death. Not only did he make you alive, he made, it, he made you so alive that it's like, no, no, he was never dead, I guess. There's no record any longer of all of that. He disarmed, in verse 15, the rulers and the authorities. He disgraced publicly disgraced the rulers and authorities that would have dominated you. He triumphed over the rulers and authorities. What does God want from you? Freedom from all that would steal, kill, and destroy you. Freedom from sin, not in the abstract, your sin. That's what he wants from you. And who, like me, can do some shouting with Paul, who in Romans 7.24 said, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Because I'm trying. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying. I don't want to be filled with lust. I don't want to be filled with insecurity and act out of that insecurity. I don't want to be an angry person. I don't want my sin to take the wheel of my life and drive me into the wall. The one thing I've proven to myself is that I am not reliable. 
The one thing I'm sure of is that if I give myself what I want, I don't know how to make me happy. I only know how to make me miserable. Who'll deliver me from this body of death? And Paul says, but thanks be to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the path, that's the plan, that's the strategy. He's the source, he's the catalyst, he's the giver of himself, he's the creator and the sustainer, he's the one who keeps you in it, he's the one who makes good on every promise, and the only reason that you stay in heaven is because in heaven everything is the way that Jesus wants you, uh, wants it to be, which means, of course, that I'm there with him. That's the way he wants it, forever. That's the way he wants it, it's crazy. All right. 16 through 19, I have to move kind of oh, faster. Help me, Lord. <laughs> Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. I mean, who among us hasn't been judged in regards to a new moon? You know what I'm saying? We've all been there. <laughs> you're, not, you're not doing the new moon stuff? No? <laughs> I guess you don't love Jesus. Don't let anybody judge you or condemn you when you don't conform to their idea of what a good Christian is supposed to be. I was in an interview once with this guy. We'll call him Mr. Terry because that was his name. And um, he'd been a deacon for like 174 years at the church where I was hoping to become a pastor. And uh, uh, I don't like bullies. That's what happens when you're little. You either learn to bow down to bullies or to just punch them right in the nose and find out what happens. And I chose the latter path. Not without my own bumps and bruises, scars and scratches as a result, mind you. But Mr. Terry came to a meeting with me. He wouldn't come to the meeting with all the deacons. He needed a private meeting with me because I wear stuff like this when I preach and I tell jokes as I preach. And uh, he said, um, what, would, what would you say to someone if they asked you, or if they told you, excuse me, what would you say to someone if they told you that they were offended by the way that you dressed when you preach? Let me tell you something. There has never been a personal issue in the abstract and theoretical. And so I, I was like, bro, I, I stand up and talk for a living. You wanna, you wanna do this? You wanna get in the water with me? That's like swimming with jaws. I was like, I don't know. Nobody's ever said that to me. So I'm not sure what I'd say. He goes, well, I was offended by the way that you dressed. And I was like, okay, hey, thank you for telling me. It means you value our friendship. You stood up with integrity and said something that was bothering you, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Let's talk about it. Why do you think I should dress differently than I did? And he said, don't you think God deserves your best? Has anybody besides me heard this about something? Don't you think God deserves your best? Yeah. Oh, baby, that's the trump card, right? Either God told me, and so you have to, or don't you think God deserves your best? Here's how I came back at him. I invite you to use it if it's helpful to you. If it fits in your pocket, put it in there, pull it out later when you need a card, okay? I said, uh, what kind of jammies do you wear? This dude's like 68 years old. He looked at me like, what in the world is happening right now? I said, no, what, seriously, what kind of jammies are you rocking? Like on a Friday night when you and Mrs. Terry, because that I... On the Bible, that was his wife's name too. When you and Mrs. Terry are cuddling up into bed, what kind of jammies do you wear? He said, I don't see how that's any of your business. I said, I assume it's a suit and tie with polished shoes on. 
And he looked at me kind of confused, and I said, because God deserves my best more than just on Sunday mornings, right? And do we serve a God who looks at the outward appearance while everybody else is looking at the heart? Or is my best something altogether different than a suit and tie? Look, if you want to worship Jesus in a suit and tie because you feel like that brings him great honor, I applaud that and wholeheartedly endorse that. But our version of new moons and Sabbaths and festivals and people saying I'm going to judge you according to this and condemn you according to this is when someone says if you are serious about your faith then you must do this. I had somebody tell me once you, if you're a real Christian you'll speak in tongues. And I was like man I don't even like what comes out of my mouth in English most of the time. How do you guys know you're not calling down curses on yourself? What's, I mean, and they were like, well, that's what real Christians do. And I said, was Jesus a real Christian? And they looked at me like, you're going somewhere, but I don't know where, so I'm not going to answer. And I said, because I don't have any record of him speaking in tongues. Let me make something clear. I don't care if you speak in tongues, but speaking in tongues doesn't draw you closer to Jesus. Reading your Bible doesn't draw you closer to Jesus. Praying doesn't draw you closer to Jesus. Sharing your faith doesn't draw you closer to Jesus. Because the Pharisees were so particular about being obedient to God that they would count the seeds in their offering. And nobody's ever been farther from God than the Pharisees were, except for me on numerous occasions over the course of my life. You cannot create your path to Jesus. Jesus has created the path to himself, and he himself is the path. And the only way you get there is a piggyback ride. The problem with us is we're like Mr. Incredible before he becomes Mr. Incredible. I had the clip. I almost showed it, but I was like, it would take too much time, so I'm just going to tell you. He drives up into his driveway. He's ticked off. He's selling insurance now, and he slams the car door shut, and there's a little kid riding a tricycle behind him, and he goes, what are you waiting for? And what does the kid say? Does anybody remember? He goes, I don't know, something amazing, I guess. And what does Mr. Incredible say? Me too. We're all waiting for something amazing to happen. We just want to be part of something special. That's a good longing inside of you. And what Satan wants to do with that good longing is just slightly distort how it is executed in real life. Just a micro difference from what God wants. If anyone adds anything to Jesus, take a pass. You should read your Bible. You should pray. You should practice silence and solitude. You should fast every now and then. You should share your faith, but not so that you can be close to Jesus. I don't give my wife flowers so that she will think I am a good husband. I do it because I love her. And all I want is to be closer to her. That's why we do those things. Love is the motivation. I mean, that's the whole commandment. 1 John 2, 6 says, anybody who claims to live in him must himself walk as Jesus did. You gotta do what Jesus did. 2 Corinthians 3, 18 says that we are being transformed into Christ's likeness. Romans 8, 29 says God predestined us to be conformed into the image of his son. The lie in the garden was what? It was this. God knows that if you eat that fruit, you will become like him. 
the implication of the lie was God doesn't want you to become like him. What was the plan all along? What was the plan all along? You are predestined to become like him. His whole plan is to make you like him. And what does Satan say? God doesn't actually want that. But you can still have it if you just take it for yourself. That was his plan. That's still his plan. That's always been his plan. What everyone who is worldly wants you to believe is that you can get there by a different route. And it doesn't work. It has never worked. Verses 20 through 23. How do we keep score? How do we win? Paul says, if you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belonged to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. And although these have a reputation for wisdom or an appearance of wisdom by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. My buddy Donnie Smith went once uh, to the Middle East, and while he was there, he went into a temple, and while he was there, he met a Buddhist monk, and he asked the Buddhist monk, what do you struggle with? This guy had committed his life to trying to remove all desire from himself, which is a, a one of, I'm not an expert on Buddhism. I apologize if this is an in, inefficient or insufficient explanation of it, but, but the desire to end up having no desires which is not at all what Jesus wants for us, but for our desires to be sanctified, right? So he said, uh, my deepest struggle is lust. By asceticism, self-punishment, self-regulation, by imposing strict discipline on yourself, you can lose weight, you can get fit, you can get healthy, but you can never overcome the flesh through your own power. Maybe you've heard Pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. Is anyone wearing boots this morning? Anybody at all? Yep, you got boots on? Do they have straps? Okay, Keith, could you come up on stage for me, please? Everybody give him a hand. That's too much. That's too, I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right, Keith, I would like you to grab a hold of your bootstraps and pick yourself up in the air. Okay, here we go. I can't even get them off right now, but it's going to happen. Nope. Okay, good try. Give him a hand again. Briefly he, briefly, he leapt into the air, but he's not able to pull himself up by his own bootstraps. We use that phrase as a word of encouragement to people who are down. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You can do it. You have the capacity. You can overcome. You can create another New Year's resolution. You can create a mid-year New Year's resolution. You can create an end-of-the-year, old-year's resolution. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But that phrase was originally designed to tell people that things are impossible sometimes. You cannot pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. How do we keep score in the faith? Is it by how much we gave? Is it by how many Bible verses we have memorized? Is it by how many times we have served in kids? You should serve in kids. Is it by how loudly we sing or how much people think well of us? Or is it by the conquering, not of your sin, but of my own sin? Because Paul says, all that junk is fine and well and good, but it will not help you defeat your sin. 
And what is the purpose for Jesus coming? To set you free from your sin, to separate you from your sin, to give you victory over your sin. So a few quick questions. Am I becoming more like Jesus, who was compassionate to all, except for those who were uncompassionate to all? Who was clear about what was true and right and good? Who was committed to the path that God had laid out for him, not trying to live someone else's calling or wishing that he was someone else? Who was called by God and obedient to God and who lived a life of holiness, not as the world defines it, but a life that was sanctified and set apart for the purpose of honoring and pleasing his Father? Am I believing lies about how to become like Jesus? That if I just do enough, then I will become like Jesus. Have I even begun with Jesus? Have you even started the journey with Jesus? Or have you been spending a lifetime trying to show God just how serious you are about all of this? Because that is so tiring. It's exhausting. Am I rooted in Jesus? Is Jesus the source of life and joy and peace for you? Or have you dug yourself into something else like social media or CNN or Fox News or academia or promotion or financial security? Am I being built up in Jesus? Have I taken an honest look at the life that God has given me and said, I have to think strategically and carefully and intentionally about what it will look like to follow Jesus in this season, in this skin? And I, am I being established by faith in Jesus? In other words, what is the sustaining force of all that I am? And very importantly, am I gaining any victory at all over the sin in my life? Or have I chosen the much simpler and self-satisfying course of making sure that others gain victory over the sin in their lives? Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. We're your people. We invite you again, Holy Spirit, to have your way in us. I pray for myself and for these friends that we would not settle for gimmicks or cheap imitations, that we would not allow ourselves to come under the condemnation of those who would like us to be more like them, but that we would be free indeed because you paid the price to set us free. And let us overflow with gratitude. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Thanks, brother. Well, my friends, we want to invite you to respond to God's word today. Um, we don't just want to hear the word, but to actually respond with it. So first and foremost, I want to invite you to a moment of reflection here. Start asking God, man, what, God, what were you speaking to me through your word today? And how would you have me respond? What do you want me to believe or receive today? Do business with Jesus. If uh, if you need somebody to pray for you, gosh, if you're if you're struggling to figure that out, what response looks like, we would love um, to pray for you. I'm going to be in the back and some other leaders as well. So, yeah, please meet us back there if uh, 
if you're wrestling. Number two, we respond by remembering the Lord's death by taking the supper together. This is a family meal for Christians where um, we take, there are two stations here in the front of the room where you will see bread broken to represent the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and the cup to represent his shed blood on our behalf. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, as you come to the table this morning, I want you to remember this is the only thing that makes me acceptable to God, right? It's what we just heard from the passage, only the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood of Jesus makes me acceptable in his sight. Receive that with gratitude. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, we invite you to just, this is a good time for you to reflect or for you to ask the person who brought you today, why is this meal important to you? Or what would it look like for me to believe the gospel for the first time and take this family meal for the first time together? And then finally, my friends, we rehearse the coming day when that pull of the flesh to run um, and try to justify ourselves before God isn't going to be there anymore. That we'll get to see him face to face. That day's coming. And get this, you're one day closer. You're one day closer. That's good news. And so in a moment, I want us to sing like that's true. I want us to sing like that reality is here. New City, I love you. Love being your pastor. Respond when you're ready.